1: Here's your conservative, but not bitter host,
0: Todd Huff. Well, that is right. You are listening to home, to the home of today's conservative, not bitter talk. And yes, I am your host, Todd Huff. Email Todd, ToddHuffShow.com, Facebook.com, ToddHuffShow. For those who may be watching the program live or on demand on Facebook, so... Look, today's program is a little bit different. I have a – I want to talk briefly about impeachment, really briefly, because I have a conversation uh, that I want to share with you, a conversation I had yesterday with retired Lieutenant Colonel Sangaris he is, um He is running for Congress running for Congress in Illinois' 9th District. He is an Iranian—he was born in Iran, U.S. citizen now, and he is sharing—basically shedding some light on the situation in Iran, giving some background. Um, It's one of the things that I think is important, and I wanted to squeeze this in before we went all (laughs) uh, headlong into impeachment, right? And so— that's going to be what we talk about for the next well, for the foreseeable uh, future simply because of what the uh, where we we find ourselves where we find ourselves and the iran situation um is even though it may um i don't know be temporarily over this has been something that's been around for a long time uh it could it could change at any point in time and so i just it, it's an important issue and i wanted to make sure that that we covered that with uh, Lieutenant Colonel Sangris Sangari. So that being said, everything has to be short today. Last night I was watching, actually watched Wolf Blitzer as I was um, doing a little workout. And I got to tell you, these folks, the the left is, I mean, they are out of control, lost their minds on the way that they have... They're fired up about this Senate uh, hearing or the Senate trial, the way that they're dealing with the the rules, the way that witnesses are being addressed, the way that um, each side has been given a certain amount of time to present their case and so forth. You have 24 hours over two days, not over four days, which upsets them, thinking McConnell's trying to... Race this thing through the Senate, which in some ways, certainly, there's no doubt that he is. But in other ways, it's as though they've ignored the entire spectacle that we've been subjected to from the very beginning, from the very beginning when this thing started, the way it's been handled in the House, the way that they shut out the Republicans. Suddenly, the media cares about the minority party again, the people who don't have power and control of the process as republicans do in the senate they didn't care about that during the time it was in the house because the democrats controlled that they do however now care about that and they've collectively lost their mind so that of course begins today that of course begins today and of course that is something that we'll be talking about beginning uh, tomorrow in more detail but i just wanted to Kind of laid the, the groundwork with that, and then I've got to stop here and take a break. It's earlier than normal, I understand, but I wanted to squeeze in this conversation with retired Lieutenant Colonel um, Sangeri, who of course is running, I mentioned, for Congress in Illinois's 9th district. So I wanted to get his input on the background of the Iran uh, – the problems in Iran, going back to the Iranian Revolution – some insight he has on the iranian people and so forth and really the ideology that we're dealing with i find this this whole thing fascinating and and insightful so i have to take a break here actually i'm already a little bit long in the segment because i've got to squeeze this uh, conversation into two uh two segments here so that being said i have to top uh, stop and take a break when we get back i'm going to share this conversation i had with him and uh here before we get full headlong into impeachment, beginning tomorrow, of course, as the trial begins today. So that being said, I'm going to stop taking a break. You're listening to Conservative Not Better Talk. I am your host, Todd Huff. Back in just a minute. Welcome back. So I've got to get into this interview i'm looking forward to it I, I want to share this with you some some very interesting conversation i had yesterday with retired lieutenant colonel sangra who is again running for illinois's ninth congressional seat we talked about iran uh the region and so forth and is uh his experience insight and so forth is i think very helpful so i wanted to make sure that we got to this before we had to spend time devoted uh, to impeachment which we will of course the, the trial begins today at i think twelve thirty. so starting from that point on we're going to be talking impeachment for quite some time i will tell you before i share this that trump is now right now as i speak right now talking to the world economic forum in davos switzerland up there talking about his economic uh, plan vision for the united states america first sort of stuff this has to drive him bonkers course he's reveling after this is just his thing it's uh, kind of kind of nice to watch her between the, <laughs> the 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 commercial breaks and so forth anyway that being said i want to share this conversation i had with lieutenant colonel sangery this is i think an important issue that we need to get to the the issue with iran kind of the background and so forth so here it is my conversation with lieutenant colonel sangris sangery who is of course as i mentioned before running for illinois ninth congressional district hope you enjoy well as you know we have spoken about the issue of Iran the uh, the tension the conflict the turmoil the chance the all the problems that we've had with the nation of Iran for some time and those of course made the headlines here recently when Trump ordered the strike of General Soleimani and so it is with that backdrop that we welcome our next guest our next guest is is retired U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel Sargis Sandgari. Lieutenant Colonel Sangery welcome to the program. How are you, sir?
1: Uh, it is good to be here, and a happy New Year to you and your listeners.
0: Well, I appreciate that very much. So I mentioned off the top that uh, Trump ordered the strikes on the strike on General Soleimani, but the problem that we have with Iran runs much deeper and much further back than that. So. I wanted to invite you onto our program to talk a little bit about that, give us some perspective. And I think to do that first and foremost, uh, what would help is if you give our listeners a little bit uh, of an understanding about your knowledge base of the region, your experience and your background to kind of paint the picture as to why you uh, can shed some, some light on this for us.
1: Uh, well, much appreciate it. Uh, I, um I was born in Iran. I'm an Assyrian Christian, of course. And uh, right after the Iranian Revolution, um, I re-escaped from Iran with my family, knowing that there's not going to be any future for the Assyrian Christians within the region, uh, especially in Iran, uh, given the Islamic Revolution. And uh, we ended up in Chicago, settling down here. I uh, served uh, 20 years uh, in the military, U.S. Army Infantry and Special Operational Forces, um deployed to the region for six years of continuous combat ops Uh, my first tour i got blown up seven times uh, with ieds and uh, survived retired established the near east center for strategic engagement um in the process i already did a diplomatic mission in kuwait Uh, the necsc or the near east center for strategic engagement i designed it in the memory of the 3,000 americans that were murdered on our soil and also uh, in recognition of the first responders are still losing their lives. Last year we lost 12 because of the effects of what happened during the attacks on 9-11. And I established a company on September 11, 2014. And, uh, we were advising the Office of Secretary of Defense, uh, the, um, uh, Near East Affairs, um, at Iraq-Syria desk out of State Department, uh, put together Operation Collective Action to conduct clearing operations in uh, northern iraq during the Musso clearing uh, ops and also advised the Assyrian army which is christian Assyrians that are fighting uh, from 2014 to 2017 uh, against uh, the isis uh, which was trying to cleanse them out uh, based on the genocide of uh, 2014 in both iraq and syria so my knowledge and understanding of the region is uh, based on the fact that i'm not only operation sir there i was born in iran and uh, we are available for advice to the national security council and also the uh, uh, under both uh, administrations and also the uh, state department at any given time.
0: Well, first of all, I appreciate, we're grateful for your service. Thank you for, for doing that. Liberty in this country um, is secured by people, the brave men and women who uh, stand in and serve in our military. And I, I thank you for, for doing that. And with your your history, it, it's you know your your background and, and having been born and in, uh, in Iran, it, it's a fascinating sort of uh, I don't know to be be able to compare and contrast these these two ways of of living. I guess I wanted to talk with you specifically about the Iranian Revolution. Tell us what you know. Uh, late seventies, you know the, the the Shah was in existence in Iran, uh, his government, and then we had. Uh, the the Iranian revolution, the Ayatollahs, the the birth of the Islamic Republic of Iran. Maybe paint the picture comparing and contrasting those two governments, the two types of leadership, uh, and some of the problems that have arisen since that uh, the birth of the Islamic Republic of Iran.
1: Uh, well, we've got to go back to the original root cause of everything, which was the Sex Pico Agreement 100 years ago plus now. Uh, which was an agreement between the French and the British to carve up the Middle East. Um, in that process, once the Middle East was carved up based on the resources, Iran historically sat where it did geographically, and uh, um, most of the governments um, after the initial establishment uh, of those nations and based on the sykes Pico Agreement were secular in nature but secularism was forced upon the people who were more, um, tend to be more Islamic in their nature uh, to abiding by the roots of what uh, the teachings or the dictates of Islam were, going back to the genocides that had taken place against majority of the Christians, the Jews, the Armenians, the Greek Pontus within the region. Um, so Iran w- was the first Place and the only place that you could have had a revolution uh, against the secular governments that was actually going to be able to uh, keep its roots uh, and hold and expand in the region. Why? Because Iran had the uh, resources, educated people, the money, a strong military, and geographically was looking in the right place to influence uh, the entire Middle East where if uh, any of these, uh, this kind of Islamic movement began in any other country within the region, it would not have had the impact that Iran has today globally and worldwide. Most of the nations of the Middle East that were secular at that time, although under Islamic uh, or Islamic nations, but more secular in nature, uh, really weren't understanding what was happening with the 79 Revolution. And A couple of things that really globally affected uh, what tended to um, allow Iran to be uh, much more capable globally when it came to the resources is, if you think about it, not only did the Iranian uh, uh, revolution begin, the Islamic revolution, at the same time we had the uh, world nations were looking at maybe a new type of a resource uh, economically uh, with the Trimawah Island having a psychological impact on most nations where they push back again against uh, new energy uh, capabilities maybe uh, for the uh, nations of the world and uh, relied back heavily on oil, which uh, allowed Iran to um, export its revolution through all other nations. Today, everything you see from ISIS, al-Qaeda, Islamic groups that uh, rose up individually everywhere from Syria to Lebanon, um, within Jordan, in Egypt, uh, in uh, Afghanistan, all these are tied to the initial revolution of Iran. So that in general itself kind of shows you that that's where the root of everything that is happening within the region started. Uh, it was Iran that was a catalyst for this change that has today gripped in entire Middle East and also put us on a platform where we are globally fighting against these type of Islamic ideologies throughout the world.
0: So let's say someone today is listening and they they have a little bit of understanding of some of this history but they just don't uh, maybe maybe they don't or someone that they work with someone in their family doesn't understand the the level of I don't know disdain hatred or animosity whatever you want to say that the Iranian government may have towards towards the United States maybe maybe talk about that that relationship, what's what's fueled that, what's what's caused that, and how do we deal with that? The the tensions and the uh, provocative actions taken by the Iranian government against the United States and our interests in that region?
1: The the only way I would explain it is that the today's Iranian has two characters of his nature and that will never change. Uh, one is he's Islamic and two he's Iranian. Uh, So he's not only just nationalistic internally, but he is Islamic in nature. Uh, Iranian constitution is Islamic. Uh, If you take a look at what is happening recently on global events with um, uh, the shooting down of the um, uh, Ukrainian aircraft by Iranian or Revolutionary Guards, uh, the president of the nation, Rouhani, recently came out and made a statement that we need to have a investigation as to what is happening. There should be trials. People should be held liable for what happened. But uh, the supreme leader Khamenei is actually the one who is in charge of the final word in the nation. So this is where Rouhani, as a president, that is structured in a government style uh, form with a um, uh, with a um, uh, parliament which is going to have their election this year in 2020, uh, is one form of a government. And uh, Khamenei, which is a supreme leader, Islamic leader, leader is another form of the government. Uh, so you have dual governments inside of Iran constantly competing against each other. Uh, the Iranian who went through the revolution to this day sees himself as being against all the world nations are against them. Uh, He believes that he should be respected the same way that the French were when they revolted, the Russians or the Americans, by the ideology on which the Americans uh, revolted and the idea which America is, the ideology behind the French Revolution, is not the same ideology that drove uh, Iran to become an Islamic nation. Uh, That's why Iran's revolution has never been really accepted um, by uh, Western uh, uh, ideals. It is inherent in the dictates of Islam, which in itself, nature-wise, do not tend to be secular and do not support Western ideas that we all uh, have as part of our amendments in our constitution. Um, So Iran always sees itself as fighting for recognition, and unfortunately, as it has done that, it uh, has never been able to understand that its dual nature of being Iranian national and being Islamist is something that will always put it in, in fight with all the nations of the world. To include um, uh, nations in the Middle East are Islamists that do not believe in this ideas of Islam. To at the same time against the nation of Israel, which is the only nation in the region that uh, so due to a Christian belief.
0: Sure. Well, I want to ask maybe some some questions. I got to take a break here. And when we come back, I'd like to ask you some questions about the I don't know, the the uprising. Some of the people who are speaking out or protesting against the government, I'd like to uh, maybe shed some light on that. I'd like your thoughts on on Sola uh, Soleimani, the strike, what the U.S. does, that sort of thing. Next. On top of that, you're running for Congress in Illinois's ninth district. The Ninth District of Illinois and I or Illinois, and I want you to shed some uh, shed some light on that. Tell some folks what you're you're doing there when we get back. Sound good? It sounds good. Excellent. So sit tight. When we get back, we'll continue our conversation with Lieutenant Colonel Sargis Sangari talking about Iran and his run for Congress in Illinois' Ninth District. You're listening to the home of Conservative Not Better Talk. I'm your host, Todd Huff, back in just a minute. with lieutenant colonel retired lieutenant colonel sangris and gary again running for illinois's ninth congressional seat in the people's republic of illinois you know the illinois would be uh outside of the chicagoland area which of course is a lot of people but you get outside of illinois or out of chicago and you have lots of folks who have conservative values and of course there's conservatives in chicago as well they're just uh, not allowed to openly talk about it. <laughs> They're not allowed to uh probably talk with one another when Rahm Emanuel is running the show there. But anyhow. Um, so I w we'll get into impeachment again tomorrow. Again the trial starts. I think I just saw one o'clock. I thought I earlier I'd seen uh twelve thirty. So twelve thirty, one o'clock this impeachment trial kicks off today in the in the Senate. Um and again I mentioned earlier this is a very short segment because I've got uh, to squeeze in the rest of this conversation with uh, Lieutenant Colonel Sengari. But the uh, Trumps in Davos right now. In fact, I just saw some highlights of his uh, of his speech. Just fantastic to watch him up there criticizing socialism. Um, when you know that there's other other world leaders in there that probably embrace the idea of socialism, but just. Just the way that he goes about it and uh, is not afraid, is not afraid to to talk about some of the fundamental flaws with these uh, ideologies. That, that being said, I, I, I've got to take a break because I've got to get the rest of this conversation in with Dr. Sangari. You're listening – excuse me, Lieutenant Colonel Sangeri. You're listening to the Home of Conservative Not Better Talk. We'll resume that uh, conversation when we return back in just a minute. <laughs> quickly get to the interview so that we can squeeze the rest of this conversation and again with lieutenant colonel retired lieutenant colonel sangris Sangari, we talked uh, we talk about iran and his run for congress uh, congress in illinois's ninth congressional district here you go come back i am speaking with retired u.s army lieutenant colonel sargis Sangari. he's running by the way running for congress in illinois's ninth district and we'll talk about that a little bit later as we uh, get to the end of our conversation here but I we're talking about Iran and before the break we talked about some of the the background of Iran, uh, some of the fundamental challenges, issues, uh, really uh, the ideology that in many ways is the antithesis to Western civilization, our constitutional republic, our freedoms and liberties. And so before the break, uh, Lieutenant Colonel, Sangari had mentioned uh, some of the things and the, the mindset of the, the modern Iranian. So I'm interested to hear your perspective on the folks who are rising up or who are protesting the government um, and just this whole process in the wake of the, uh, the strike that killed Soleimani. And then, of course, the Iranians uh, downing that uh, Ukrainian airliner. What's What's happened? How do you interpret this? Is this a good sign? Can the people maybe, um, I don't know, rise up and and change this this system of government?
1: Well, the people are going to rise up to change the perspective of the government, maybe not the system of government. Because like I said again, Iran, even under a new government, if there is, is always going to be Islamic and is going to be – uh, is going to be nationalistic at the same time. Uh, people say, no, that uh, that will change. Iran will go back to what it used to be. Keep in mind that uh, in 79, and we had written an article on the Near East Center for Strategic Engagement going back to 5th, February 5th of last year, that looked at the fact that you had Iranian businessmen here who were some of the well-known throughout the world, probably the richest, the middle class was absolutely climbing uh, within uh, Iran to a point where uh, it was uh, head and shoulders above the middle class even in the United States. Uh, given the amount of real and the resources that the Iran had, most of the military was educated in our West Point and our Air Force Academies, Naval Academies, most of the uh, Iranian uh, students were uh, educated and a lot of our liberal universities, like UCLA and uh, uh, other uh, universities that taught these socialist ideologies, which some have argued and might have been the reason why Iranians, when they went back, revolted against their government, which was a capitalistic government in nature. Uh, Any Iranian businessman could get up in the morning, have uh, breakfast at home, fly out to Paris, uh, do shopping, have a, a late... Uh, Uh, brunch, or uh, uh, not a brunch, but late uh, lunch, and fly back and sleep in his own house uh, the uh, same day. That's how far Iran had advanced. But when given an opportunity, all of them voted to accept the Islamic government to be the head of the nation. That means even if you have a parliament, even we have this in Iraq, uh, the parliament of Iraq votes on something, they pass a bill, but eventually the mandate and the dictates um, and the gatekeeper to whether or not it meets the Islamic uh, ideals and dictates is with the l- religious leaders of the countries. So whatever law that you pass, if it doesn't meet those dictates, in this case in Iran, Khamenei can turn it uh, over and say that it doesn't meet our requirements mm-hmm. or in uh, Iraq it would be an Sistani because Iraq itself is an Islamic uh, constitution um, now with that said the issues that we talked about internally to Iran the people are being squeezed economically they want to see a reform they want to see a change uh, this was one of the reasons why Zarif in uh, 2019 May of 2019 put in his resignation because if you think about it it was a Zarif and the reformist who were able to bring the world nations to the table uh, to sign the Joint uh, Comprehensive Plan of Action, uh, which from the uh, Near East perspective was more of an economic rather than a uh, nuclear plan, but mm-hmm. Iran sat across the table by itself, uh, faced China, France, Germany, Russia, and United Kingdom and the U.S., and struck a deal. Now, in May of last year, when Zarif put in his resignation, was because of people like Soleimani. Uh, General Suleiman, who were conducting still operations uh, against uh, the uh, what they believed were Iranian interests within the region, but really was against uh, the reformists within Iran who were trying to use international law to get to agreements with the uh, nations of the world. Uh, at the time, uh, Khamenei uh, did not accept Zarif's resignation, uh, but Zarif and um, um, uh, was still conducting operations on behalf of the Islamic extremists within the region that were detrimental to even Iran stabilizing the regions around it. Uh, Iraq in itself, as an example, when, the, uh, when you saw the, the uh, individuals trying to attack our embassy in Iraq, here is the Iranian leadership, the reformists, spending money, time, effort, billions of dollars, to try to win the support of the Iraqi parliament to their side, but you have a general officer in the Iranian government that is tied to the Islamists actually destabilizing Iraq itself by the fact that he is uh, forcing actions against the U.S. Embassy, which was not going to bolt well for Iran or the United States. So the killing of Suleiman actually helps alleviate some of the internal pressures in Iran because you literally had a government within a government system that existed, and it was possible that Suleiman was going to probably win in the uh, 2020 elections, and if that happened, we would have led to a larger regional, if not global, war uh, against Iran, which wasn't going to help either of us. Mm -hmm. So uh, these are the maturations that you see on the streets of Iran. But just because the Iranian students are out there fighting and wanting to see a change, does not mean that if there's a change, that the Iranian students will accept Western ideologies or what sure. the Islamic dictates are in their constitution.
0: So I've read, and, and you're, you're uh, I think you told me either at the beginning of this or off-air that you, you are a Christian, correct?
1: Yes, Assyrians are Christians. Uh, uh, we are all over the Middle East. Uh, we're the descendants of the Assyrian Empire. Uh, and we went through the first genocide of the 20th century uh, when the Ottoman Turks uh, and the Sunni Muslim Kurds, uh, tribesmen, uh, killed uh, a million Armenians, 750,000 Assyrians, and also uh, 500,000 plus Pontius Greeks. Uh, Assyrians lost two-thirds of their nation. And in World War One, mm-hmm. we had the only uh, leaders... That was the leader of a nation in World War One. That was actually killed um, by the Sunni Muslim Kurd leader Simku, who was an Assyrian patriarch of the Church of the East, um, because uh, the Assyrians were fighting in be- on the side of the Allies against uh, Ottoman Turkey and uh, the Axis.
0: Sure. So I so I've I've seen some reports, and you would know better than I. But I've seen some some documentaries, I've read some things on some uh, some you know websites of groups that um, help spread the gospel around the world, and and I've seen reports from folks that say that that the church in the nation of Iran is actually growing. In fact, I've seen where it's the fastest growing uh, church in the in the world, and it's happening in the nation of Iran. And so I'm curious. In light of what you were saying earlier about those deep held uh, Islamic beliefs, uh, kind of that you know the, the beliefs that don't openly accept some of these freedoms, Western civilization, society, sort of things that we kind of take for granted here today, I am wondering if that is true. And the church is growing in Iran as rapidly as I am as I am hearing. Does that change the potential landscape in your mind um, regarding? how uh how much they would want to maintain a strict i don't know um Islamic government or you know some sort of a religious theocracy there in the nation of Iran, does that address the problem at all from your perspective
1: uh yes and no, because at the end of the day, remember it was the government's hold that made all those nations secular um Christians live in Iraq they live in Lebanon they live in Turkey, they live in Jordan they live in Iran, however the government's constitution and the Islamic constitution
0: mm-hmm. even in
1: the Iraq which we as the US forces help establish the new government of Iraq, we establish it on their Islamic dictates and Islamic dictates are all arching requirements so a Christian today in Iraq doesn't have the rights that sure. a Christian has in the United States so, as long as the government of Iran has an Islamic uh, constitution, it doesn't matter how many Christians are living in Iran or And whether or not they belong to the Assyrian Church or the East or, they're, uh, or separate Christians that are being evangelicalized within the region. I guess we uh, my... still have to have a different form of government.
0: Absolutely. Agreed 100%. But my, yeah. I guess my question is, is taking that a step further and is asking. Do you foresee a situation if, if there – I don't know. If, if there's enough of a uh, uh, an uprising, uh, if, if the folks have had enough of this heavy-handed regime that's been running uh, the nation, if, if in fact they are uh, accepting Christ and are embracing these freedoms, do you foresee a possibility with other additional pressures on Iran to where substantive changes can happen? to that nation, or is that just uh, not, not going to happen in, in your estimation?
1: Now, any pressure, whether it be economic pressure or these type of internal pressures, are meaningful. But however, at the end of the day, if the Islamist holds the country, he could kill the Christians, That's as right. he has done multiple times in the 20th century. Um, um, was the first uh, genocide of the 20th century was against the Christians. The Jews were kicked out of the Middle East because there were Jews. Uh, The Assyrian Christians in Iraq, we were 1.5 million and right now we're at Mm 150,000. And who was in Iraq at the time we were being killed? It was the United States Special Operational Command, 82nd Airborne, Mm -hmm. NATO, EU, all the forces of the world were on the ground in support of the freedoms of the people of Iraq and the Christians were butchered, to include even in uh, northern, uh, uh, northern Iraq, where we say that we have uh, the Sunni Muslim Kurds who are much more apt to be in our ideology and our like, as far as freedoms are concerned, uh, in 2014, when the genocide against the Syrian Christians had begun, the, the uh, Kurdish youths were tearing down a Christmas tree. Uh, in uh, erbo because it was a representative of the symbol of christianity so he, christian will never be able to have uh, his say in, under islamic constitution sure. he could put pressure but that's all he can do at the end if they want to massacre you one day they'll kill you that's right and it doesn't matter you know
0: the how many is, your numbers are yeah I, and, I, and i get i, I understand that and you understand the region much better than i but at some point you have I mean the American Revolution, of course, wasn't dealing with an Islamic Republic with the uh, the British Empire, but they were dealing with heavy-handed tyranny, and at some point they succeeded in breaking away from it. I guess that's really the root of my question, and it sounds like that's a really uh, – even with some of these developments is is a stretch to think that the Iranians can uh, break away from, from this – well, and, and change this Islamic Republic to something that's not as – uh, to something that's altogether different. That seems like a, we're, we're far light years away from that.
1: Hey, you're, you're generations away from it. Uh, uh, I was asked recently, what about uh, Iranian-Americans, if they one day go back to Iran and there's a change of government? I said, that's fine. But what happens two generations from now, three generations from now, when that Iranian goes back and his son or daughter is marrying into the Islamic religion of another Iranian who is Muslim? In Iran, the ideology of those children that they're going to uh, grow up with are going to be under those particular dictates. And at the end of the day, when the preacher says this is the way it is That's right. in the Islamic world, it is hard to fight back against him because he owns the guns <laughs> and right. the uh, governmental structure. This, this is very unique, I think, to that region. Yes, it would change. It could happen. But as I've always said in the multi hope is not a course of action. There's some reality true. to get a deal with. When we put sanctions against Iran, we kept the port of Tar-Bahar, a large port in Iran, open so India can do business with Iran to run a railhead to Afghanistan in order for us to be able to pressure on the Taliban from Pakistan to bring to negotiation tables. When we put economic sanctions against Iran, we still have to allow Iran to sell its crew to Iraq could influence of iran against iraq so there's some dynamics and realities sure. that globally that are going to really stifle the ability of the individual christians in iran to be able to have a say today you have five seats in iran that uh, you can have christians jews uh they're going to be an armenia so have to have a say in their government but at the end of the day again uh, their rights on a daily basis are not where they should be that's
0: exactly right. uh, if
1: they were then uh, Assyrian Christians uh, uh, Jews uh, Armenians from across the globe would be flying to Iran to go able to live there and uh, you know raise their families.
0: so at the end of the day we've got I mean and, and that's really the whole point to me is that a lot of folks see this stuff break out and they think, well, this series of events or this, this uh you know, Trump's fault for this or that or the other, whoever they want to to blame here. But these problems are deeper, uh, much, much deeper than even most of us here in the United States can really uh, fully appreciate. So I appreciate you shedding some light on that really quickly. I don't have much time. Tell our listeners a little bit about why you're running for Congress. And if they want to help you, they can do that. Even in Indiana, uh, Utah, which is two states that were on the, the radio, we have listeners around the world on podcasts. But if folks want to Help your campaign. How would they? How would they do that? And also briefly share why you're why you're running.
1: Well, I'm I'm, a, I'm the Republican candidate in the ninth congressional district of Illinois. Uh, I'm running because uh, I'm going to take the talents that I had, everything that I know about the region, like you said, and the Middle East, and everything that I've basically uh, learned uh, on the combat fields of the. Uh, of the middle east and applying towards trying to help our government our congress to move forward away from some of these ideologies that you see today being discussed in the halls of congress which are really uh, the ideologies that i escaped from from the middle east to me when you have an incumbent like the one that i'm running against who has been sitting in her seat for 20 years that to me is a dictatorship it has nothing to do about you know a representative government and uh, Even during the impeachment process, she was actually on the House floor on the day of promoting her son uh, to be the next basically hand-selected individual to replace her after she's gone. So these ideologies, uh, to me, are what destroyed the the regions I have lived in, and I want to make sure that those ideologies do not take hold here within the region. So we got Votesengarry is my site, com. And uh, individuals can go and donate or be part of our team if possible.
0: Perfect. That's VoteSangary, votesangar dot com. This is U.S. Army retired Lieutenant Colonel uh, Sergeant Sangari running for the 9th District Congressional seat in the state of Illinois. It's been a pleasure, sir. Thank you for sharing your insight, and uh, we wish you the best in the upcoming election.
1: Thank you, Todd. And, uh, you know, keep uh, the folks in the region in your prayers, especially the Christians on the Middle East. Um, they need all the prayers that they can get, uh, but be realistic about what they have to face on a daily basis. And I think if we approach it that way, I think we'll be in much better position to be able to help the people who want to see a change within the region, especially in this case in Iran. Oh,
0: well, very good. That we will do. Thank you very much for joining us, sir. God bless.
1: Thank you, Todd. God bless.
0: that conversation with lieutenant colonel sangris and gary's he's running for the ninth congressional district in the state of illinois so again we'll talk impeachment um, as that begins to take shape we know that the rules have been set the left is upset about about those rules they have two days per side uh, per you know um uh, uh, prosecution i guess and defense both have 2 days for opening arguments 12 hours per day that's upsetting to some on the left not enough time i guess to smear the president on undoubtedly what will be nation uh, nationwide television Senator, senators will then be, be allowed to have up to 16 hours to present written questions debate will take place for 4 hours they'll have a vote on other witnesses once that is that process concludes which that could take a lot of steps that could—who knows what that could look like. That could—if there are witnesses, then, of course, this gets drawn out. Um, after that, there's deliberations and then a final vote on the articles of impeachment. So gearing up for that to start today, we'll talk more about that in detail as the program—or, excuse me, as the uh, process unfolds before our very eyes. Also, I want to mention, too, yesterday, Second Amendment protest took place, pro-Second Amendment protests rally in Richmond, Virginia, without a single shootout taking place. Unbelievable as the left have led us to believe that that was inevitably going to be the start of a war <laughs> on the grounds of the statehouse in Virginia and Richmond. But guys, I've got to go. Hope you had a uh, have a great day. Talk with you soon. Take care. SDG.